the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. There was a missionary named Charles T. Stubb. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he inherited great wealth. And what he did, he spent that money on missions. And uh, he was in China, he was in India, and just, but he wrote this poem. It really stuck with me. Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Now that's some comment, but that goes with Proverbs 13, verse 7, the one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. Uh, A good question is, how are we spending our money? Well, in the book of Proverbs, it gives us some guidance. And Bert Harper, myself, that's who I am, Alex McFarlane, co-host, we want to take you through the book of Proverbs. And we're at chapter 13, or Proverbs 13, and there's 25 different verses. We're going to try to go over those today. And Alex, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about money, and Proverbs is no different, is it? Well, that's true, and Bert, it's great to be on with you today, and good to have everybody listening. We sincerely appreciate it that you would join us at this time uh, every day. But you know, you opened up with the the poem by C.T. Studd, and oh, that is so great. A heart for missions, you know, to open up a rescue shop uh, right there uh, near the doorstep of, of hell. I mean, he lived in light of eternity, and that's what Proverbs Uh, Among other things, Proverbs reminds us to live with the Lord, our accountability to God, and eternity in view, I believe, Bert. You know, when chapter 13 says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scorner will not hear a rebuke. I mean, the wisest thing that we can do is to stay teachable, isn't it? And the more I read Proverbs in preparation for this, Bert, the more the more I realize I have to learn. (laughs) You and me both. And each time you read it, I do believe you find something that is different and new and helpful. But there's a theme, and and there's several themes all through the book of Proverbs. And Alex, I remember on the first time we introduced it, you gave a list of about a half a dozen things, finances, education, relationships, all of those things. Yes. But one of the themes is the conversation between a a father and a son, and it talks a lot about a wise son and wisdom. Uh, Notice a lot of wisdom has to do with listening. Notice the words here, a wise son heeds or hears his father's instructions. Uh, He he not only just, you know, hears them, he heeds them, he He follows those good instructions. And so when we are talking with our people that's listening, we're talking about discipleship. Uh, Let me ask you this. Isn't that a little bit what discipleship is? Listening, learning, and then following and doing? Amen. Well said. Very well said, Bert. Um, I want to give a word here that we see uh, in verse 6 of chapter 13, and the word is the way. Do you remember back in uh, John 14, verse 6 in the New Testament, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And Proverbs has a lot to say about the path of life. You know, we concluded yesterday 
uh, verse 28 of chapter 12, in the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. See, Bert, um, it behooves us to ponder what pathway we're on. In uh, verse 6 of chapter 13, righteousness keeps him that is upright in the way, but the wickedness uh, wickedness overthrows the sinner. Bert, um, there there are 10,000 roads that will lead you to death and hell, but there's one road that will lead you to heaven and to the Lord, and that, that way, the right way, maybe the narrow way, but the, the way of life, that's Jesus. And so Proverbs, it, it calls us to the right way, and it makes us ponder the way that we are presently on. It does. And, and again, Proverbs is not telling you that works saves you. It, it Following with what Alex has said, when you're in the way that leads to life, there is some limits. There's, there's guards. Matter of fact, one of the issues is guard when it says guard your words, what you say, uh, you know, guard your heart and what you hear. So we're talking about the way that leads to life. By the way, if you're struggling with whether you're saved or you're not saved, you know you're not saved, but you want to know more about it, uh, we have partners. It's Triple Eight Need Him. Uh, Need Him Ministries is, go- is great. Or chataboutjesus.com. You can go to that on the internet, but Triple Eight Need Him. Alex, it's great to have partners that will share Jesus with others, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, if, if you're at a moment of spiritual need, whether it's to make certain of your salvation, you know, if I were to die, would I go to heaven? I mean, that's a question that the Spirit of God might be leading you to really examine today. Uh, or maybe you just need to talk to somebody and, you know, you just want to share something and you need somebody to pray for you or pray with you. No obligation, no strings attached, but but 1-800-NEED-HIM and you will find a great Christian uh, interaction with the person that you speak with there. Um, Proverbs 13 is where we are. Verse 7 says, There is that maketh himself rich, yet has nothing. There is him that maketh himself poor, yet has great riches. Now, Bert, that is profound. (laughs) It is. Because, listen, uh, you could have a big fat checkbook, but be spiritually bankrupt. And, and you could be uh, blessed and affluent and be very godly. But here's the thing. The way to be full is to empty yourself and let it get filled up with Jesus. Um, I, I say this. The tomb was left empty so that your heart and soul could be made full. And I think Proverbs thirteen seven really alludes to that. I agree. And I believe the last part of that, you can look at it. You see Jesus, Jesus left glory to come and take on flesh and dwell among us as a carpenter's son and would live among us. Foxes had holes, birds had nests, but the Son of Man did not have any place to lay his head. For our riches he became poor so he could bring us to him. And again, when I read that, I I highlighted that verse 7, especially the last part of that uh, verse, Alex. And and it just, you see what I'm talking about? Jesus, who who gave all, and he who, who knew no sin became sin 
that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. And so this is Proverbs. It's not telling you work, work, work so you can be saved. It's talking about when you know God, righteousness, when you know wisdom that comes from God in this relationship, then you have these limits, you have these attributes, you have these goals. And 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 these limits are, are, are for our benefit. Notice, again, I, I don't want to go back all the way, but verse 3, he who guards his mouth prefers preserves his life. You know, this is the, you know, I, I, I read that and I thought, man, that's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit helps us and guides us to speak and do and follow him. So in this relationship, Alex, that we have with God through Jesus Christ, uh, it brings great blessing. Does it mean it'd mm. always be easy? The answer to Not that always. is no. Um, mm. It is difficult and it is hard. It is narrow. But it is adventurous, and it is good, and it leads to life, doesn't it? Well, it, it does. It really does. And, uh, hey, there's a very famous verse in chapter 13 here, um, but i got to ask you something, Bert. Did you watch Andy Griffith last night? I did last night. Now, I didn't get my, I didn't get my a half hour of Andy. Did you? Well, last I was watching it, and Andy was busy, and Opie, didn't feel like he was getting enough of his daddy's time. And so he said he was sick and he was drooping around, very droopy. Uh, and Andy said, okay, well, let's do something and we'll, we'll spend time together. And boy, he perked right up. Now look at verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. When uh, Opie got to spend some time with his daddy, you know, he felt good all of a sudden. Do you know life is like that? Um, let's say you're going to reach a goal, you know, Monday morning, we're going to do this and that. Maybe, uh, I remember when I was going to get my driver's license and I spent weeks getting ready for that. And then oddly enough, the, the morning that I was supposed to get my driver's license, it was bad weather and it was closed. And I mean, longest 24 hours of my life to have to wait (laughs) for the next day. See, we all know what it's like to be expectant. And we have to wait. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Oh, boy. When when things go our way, we perk up, don't we? We do. And, again, I see the Messiah in this. You remember? I mean, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it is messianic, talking about the Messiah coming. And then the law came, and then the prophets would preach. We have the Psalms. Uh, we have that interbiblical period, but we'll have Anna and Simeon waiting upon Jesus there at the temple when they came to the temple. And Alex, that hope deferred, it was waited upon and waited upon, but it's going to happen. Now I want to follow that up. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I am coming back. And that hope is deferred. And it, we, we've been talking about it here. We have people calling in all the time. Do you think the coming of the Lord is near? And you both, you and I both say, we believe it is. And and so that hope deferred, when he comes, it's going to be awesome, isn't it? It's going to well, be a is. great, great getting up morning. It's the tree of life. I, I love the great getting up morning. And, <laughs> and you know, um, it, the Bible says the return of Christ, it is the desire of the ages. Uh, and... You remember in Habakkuk 2, write the vision that he may run that reads it. Though it tarry, it will not be long. 
Um, so much of life, it is about waiting, but you know, we worship as we wait. And honestly, uh, don't you think, and I know this is not original with me, Bert, but uh, Psalm says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And then Adrian Rogers said the stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I believe that's probably Psalm 34, um, maybe Psalm 37. But uh, waiting, our character grows if we if we let the Lord do it. You know, uh, if we let God sharpen us and deepen us while we wait. Uh, it goes on in chapter 13, it talks about um, to despise the word is to be destroyed. Uh, the law of the wise is a fountain of life, but to depart from uh, the snares of death, you know, we follow God's wisdom and God's truth. Another famous statement you've heard preachers say, the way of the transgressor is hard. Well, that's Proverbs thirteen fifteen, isn't it? It is. Good. Good understanding gives favor or blessing. The way of the transgressors is hard. So repeatedly, uh, the Proverbs, Solomon, uh, it calls us to stay on the path. And Bert, isn't it true that the wisest thing we can do is to follow God's roadmap for, for life, and that's found in his word. It is life. And notice how many times you see the tree of life, the fountain of life, the pathway that leads to life, righteousness is life. God wants to give us life and it given it abundantly. That's what Jesus said. I came that you may have life and that you would have an abundant life. That only comes through that relationship through Jesus Christ. This is Burton Alex, and we're going to come back here on Exploring the Word and look at the rest of Proverbs 13. If you can join us next segment, please do so. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Rena Bitter, Assistant Secretary of State for Consular Affairs. She works for the welfare and protection of U.S. citizens abroad and for the protection of U.S. border security. Proverbs 3.23 reminds us of God's protection in our journey. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Rena Bitter as she works to facilitate international travel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2022 prayer guide and make this the year of prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says there's a key to spiritual effectiveness, both for individuals and churches. He'll tell us what it is and why we sometimes lose track of it as we spend two minutes with Tony. April 14, 1912, the Titanic sank in its maiden voyage from England to America. The second officer on the ship was David Blair. But on the day before the launching of the Titanic on its voyage, David Blair was reassigned. What David Blair had in his pocket was a key to the crow's nest locker that held the binoculars. That meant that the gentleman in the crow's nest was limited to his human sight. 
on that foggy day, the Titanic sank not merely because it hit an iceberg, but because there was a missing key. Many of us have been involved in religious activity, church, Bible, prayer, and yet something still seems to be sinking in our lives, in our families, in our churches, and in our culture. The key to making life work as God intended it to work personally, professionally, familiarly, culturally, is absolute surrender. When you fully commit all of you to all of Him. Learn how to put that key to good use with the help of Tony's CD series, Divine Reset, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as Christ is pure. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. talking about the well-known passages of Scripture, famous, really, well-known words from Proverbs 13, verse 20 is one of those. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Alex McFarland here along with Bert Harper, and you are listening to Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. We're very honored that you're with us, and in a few minutes we'll open up the phones for Bible questions. And you might want to take this number down, and you'll be ready. We'd love to hear from you. Call in today with a Bible question. It's 888-589-8840, And we look forward in just a few minutes to getting to your Bible questions. But, Bert, as I read Proverbs, um, I come across all these truisms that I've kind of heard off and on for my whole life. Amen. This is when I, I do believe that we had a biblical, knowledgeable culture. We had people that knew the Scriptures, and uh, they took the Proverbs. Proverbs were given so that they could be taught by an older man to a younger man. I've given this word picture again and again, visualize a father or grandfather walking along with their son or their grandson sharing these and again, what they would do, they would take these truths, these proverbs, and, and they would put it in their vernacular, and they became truisms that we've had and we've heard, and they've passed down. A lot of people don't know where they come from, but the origin is the Word of God. But verse yeah. 20 is powerful. He who walks with wise men will be wise. Again, I was determined today. I said, man, we're going to make much of Jesus in this proverbs, but everywhere I see it, think about those men who walked with Jesus, except for Judas Iscariot, those men turned the world upside down. They walked with Christ. And when they saw the risen Savior, and then at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell in power and empowered them, 
they would go out from Jerusalem and absolutely change the world, Alex. And so walking with Jesus, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Uh, That's Mm. from Amos. And, And so God's word is wanting you to be wise. And so now let me go one more th- uh, statement. I'll turn it back to you. You may not can walk with them, but because of books and the internet, we have the possibility of reaping the benefits of men like we quote all the time, Charles Spurgeon, Vance Havener, Adrian Rogers, Chuck Swindoll. Those men spent hours and hours in the Word of God and in prayer. And, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis, I better throw his name in there, had a, had, you know, <laughs> yeah, you sure. know we, we may not be in their time frame, but because of, of technology and print, we have their wisdom along with the Word of God. That's the wise men we could associate ourselves with, isn't it? Well, you know, uh, the late Norm Geisler, while we're talking about wise people, Dr. Geisler used to say a couple of things, and I want to get back to what Solomon said, but Geisler used to say this. He said, a Christian can see farther on his knees than a philosopher on his tiptoes. <laughs> hey, but the other thing, he, he said this, and whenever we would talk about the great names that we revere, like Spurgeon and different ones, Vance Havner, Dr. Geisler would say that today we're standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, and I would encourage you, folks. Obviously, read the Bible first and foremost. But you'll hear Bert and me. We, you know, we talk about uh, Dr. Chriswell, W. A. Chriswell, and we talk about more recently people like Adrian Rogers or Jerry Falwell or Charles Colson, and then people that are still living like James Dobson and Don Wildman. Uh, read the great seasoned Christian thinkers because. Um, as has been said, we're drawing water from many wells, aren't we, Bert, when we, we read from God's great leaders? We are. Let's, let's spend a little bit more time in verse 20 and look at the second part of that. The companion yes. of fools will be destroyed. Uh, this is so important. Be careful who you associate with, what you associate with. And the companion, it has the idea of spending time with them. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what business has light with darkness? And and the Bible says, also come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. So here in, in Proverbs 13, 20, verse 20, uh, listen, I would highlight it. I would underline it. I would even probably print it and and let it, <clears throat> let it be a part of your life and your your goal that you want to surround yourself with wise people. And Alex, uh, it'll pay off, won't it? Did you ever hear the name again, another great leader, Jay Strack? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I heard him early in my Christian life, and he said, tell me who your friends are, and I can tell you who you'll be in 10 years. And, uh, you know, nowadays people are so transient, they move so fast. But the fact is, and Proverbs thirteen twenty alludes to this, we are influenced by our surroundings. You want to be wise? Hang around wise people. Make friends of wise people. Be warned. A companion of fools will be destroyed. And do you know what? I, listen, when I first got saved, Bert, um, you know, I was playing in a couple of bands around town and going to college and I was playing at the fraternity parties, 
And sure, I wanted to witness to my friends. I did witness to my friends and led some of them to Christ. But it wasn't long, Bert, I realized there were some people I had to, I had to get away from, you know. Um, I wasn't bringing them up, but they were definitely dragging me down. And I had to just get away from some people. And I did. And I thank God for that. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. And Bert... Um, it really does. That's why we say be in church, folks, because you become like your surroundings. And if you want to be on the pathway of life and blessing, you want to become more like Jesus, hang around uh, the Jesus people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> be advice. in church. Amen, Alex. I really wanted to get to two more verses for sure. Verse 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Again, we've talked about immediate and we've talked about long term. And a lot of the uh, Proverbs that Solomon writes, they're long term looking for the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Uh, it may not look like that immediately, but ultimately that the, the meek shall inherit the earth. It's going to happen. But let's look at that. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The inheritance, it also can be combined with legacy, not just the finances, the land, the bonds, uh, but it could also be a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. So one of the greatest things that you can leave your children and your grandchildren is a good name, Alex. Uh, you know, I, I think of my dad, a godly man, and uh, I, I, he left me a great legacy of loving the Lord and loving your family, and uh, it has stood me well. Uh, I'm trying to leave a legacy for my children and my uh, my grandchildren. It is ver verse 22. Uh, listen, that ought to be a gold of any parent, shouldn't it? Well, it should, yes, to leave um, not just an inheritance of, of finances, but even more so a legacy of, of character and godliness. I mean, that is the greatest riches. Earlier in the chapter, it talked about the one who's, who's wealthy but, but poor, you know. The greatest riches is, is a good name, a good, good character, the substance of who you are, not the substance of what you think you have, but, but the actual true substance of who you are. Um, verse 23, I want to read 23 through 25. Much food is in the tillage or the, the plowing or the farming of the poor, but there is that is destroyed for want of judgment. He that, famous verse 24, he that spares his rod hates his son, but he that loves him chastens him betimes or at the right time the righteous eat to the satisfying of his soul but the belly of the wicked shall want now what you see here is this the contrast of the spiritual and the physical somebody is poor right and and that's unfortunate but you know what if you work much food is in the tillage of the poor you know i th there could be somebody who we think is wealthy but they're becoming poor and there's somebody who is not wealthy, but they are actually having their needs met and actually growing. Um, people that are destroyed, in, in other words, bereft is the word really, emptied because of lack of judgment. But Bert, let's, let's camp out on the final two verses. 
because we're living in a time of, you know, they often talk about helicopter parents, those that are just always hovering and smothering and indulging. The one who spares the rod, in other words, they don't discipline, they don't reprimand, they don't punish. And that's not love. That's act, Proverbs 13, 24. You're hating your child. But if you love your child, you will chasten the child at the right times. Uh, Bert, Dr. Dobson used to always say this, that children want structure and discipline. Um, as hard as it might be for some you know, indulgent parents to realize if you love your child, you'll correct your child. You will. And and while we're at it, let's go back and combine verse 20 and 24, wise men. And you talked about your, you know, your mentor, a man that I respect and love, Dr. James Dobson. Buy his books. We were talking about wisdom and family talk with Dr. Dobson still comes on this network. You can get it each day and find out what is going on. And he helps it. By his book, Bringing Up Boys and Bringing Up Girls, uh, they are so good. Dare to Discipline. So many of these books are powerful and good and good tools to help you become the and, effective and Bert, parent. Uh, let me tell you, I'm old enough. I remember when Dare to Discipline came out. Oh, golly, a lot of people <laughs> said, oh, that's harsh. No, you do not discipline a child, said some people. But you know, Dr. Dobson was right. And hey, folks, you ought to read his book, Dare to Discipline, because I believe it's very, very biblical. You are right on, Alex. And uh, the word here, and, and combine these, sparing the rod and promptly, uh, it doesn't mean harshly. That's not the word. It is promptly. It means with discretion. It means early. Uh, you do it while they can connect the dots. Uh, if you wait too long and let anger build up, that child uh, will have difficulty, so you do it promptly. But again, uh, it doesn't mean harshly. It, it does not, but it does mean discipline. And here it is talking about physical discipline here. And you can make your call on that, how far to go. You don't want to go too far and hurt and harm. But the word is plain, Alex. If you spare that rod, you hate your child. You say, oh, I love them too much. No, you. Uh, some people are, are misappropriating what love is, aren't they, when they say they, I love them too much to discipline them? Well, you know, the Lord loves us supremely, and he certainly disciplines us. You know, uh, the book of Hebrews talks about that. And uh, obviously, nothing surpasses the love of God for us. And, uh, hey, let me tell you, the... The loving, ultimately wise Lord Jesus, he certainly does discipline us, and thank God for that. Um, verse 25, the righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want. It's interesting. Uh, Paul said, I know how to abase and abound. I've learned what whatsoever state I'm in, therein to be content. Do you remember very famously, was it J. Paul Getty, who was a billionaire back when there might have been one or two in the whole world. I said, how much is enough money? And he said, just a little bit more. It's interesting how with Christ you learn to be satisfied. And I don't mean it's just, you know, resignation. No, it's contentment. 
Bert, doesn't the Bible say that godliness with contentment is great gain? The Bible makes it plain, <clears throat> and that contentment comes uh, in a relationship. Alex and I, we've been talking about it this whole hour. Some, It seems like some days, Alex, you and I just have this burden on our heart for the possibility of one person or many people that are listening, that is struggling with their salvation. And today is one of those days, and we're telling you, the only one who can satisfy that <clears throat> vacuum in your heart, in your life, is Jesus Christ. You're not going to fill it up. The book of Ecclesiastes makes that plain. You're not going to fill it up with wealth. You're not going to fill it up with education. You're not going to fill it up with partying. You're not going to fill it up with great works. The only one who can fill that vacuum that's in your life, that which is missing, is Jesus Christ, and it comes into that relationship. Alex, it's not religion. You don't you don't look at it as, okay, I, I want to follow this religion. You don't have to go on a search for the world religions. You go on a search for Jesus Christ because he is the treasure. He is the one, and when you have him, he's the treasure, and all you do that after that is enjoy the treasure and explore the treasure, and you let the treasure use you for his glory. Mm, well said. Well said. You are listening to Exploring the Word, folks. The number, toll-free nationwide. If you want to call with a Bible question uh, live on the air, Bert and I will do our best to give you a factual, biblical answer. It's 888-589-8840. We'll open up the phones in just a second. But, uh, you know, there's that old thing of uh, uh, getting what you want, or what's even better is uh, being satisfied with what you've got. The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul. With Jesus, we have all that we need, and our soul is full. Again, you're listening to Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex with you. We want to hear from you today in your phone call and your question, your biblical question, 888-589-8840. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Hello, I'm Gary Roby host of Call to Worship, heard each Sunday on American Family Radio. This one-hour program will lead you in a special time of worship and praise. We will focus on God's Word, spoken, and in music. Call to Worship has a different topic each week as we glorify God together. Be sure to join us at 5 a.m. Central each Sunday for a Call to Worship right here on American Family Radio. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Statistics show that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and to commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Yet the percentage of children born to fatherless homes has skyrocketed in America. As of 2015, 25% of white, 53% of Hispanic, and 73% of black babies are born into fatherless homes. 
while Scripture teaches that the weight of raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord falls upon fathers. Seems like we need a movement that says fatherhood matters. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with a minute in God's Word to help you keep moving forward. John 19, verse 30 says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. One day my wife came in from the mailbox. Michelle was almost skipping and waving a piece of paper in her hand. She said, It's the notice that our car is paid off. And then she said, It is finished. Well, when Jesus said it is finished, he was literally saying the debt is paid in full. His death on the cross completely paid the debt that we owe God for our sin. Nothing more needs to be done to make us right with God. That's good news. Have you accepted the price that Jesus paid for your sin? The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved because it is finished. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Now that music right there will lift you up. Music about revival, Bert. That uh, I gotta tell you that that's a toe tapper, isn't it? It is. It's one of our favorite. Uh, we call it bumper music here, or intro music, and uh, we love that one. Both of us, we kind of start tapping our foot, or you know, pretending we're playing a guitar here in Tupelo. I'll have to admit exactly. that. You don't have exactly. to pretend to play your guitar, Alex. You can, man. But I well, have to I just do to love pretend. to play the guitar. Yeah, and, I know uh, it. Every now and then when I'm on the road, I'll uh, if there's an extra guitar, I'll sit in and play with the praise band, <laughs> and that's always fun. But we've got a lot of calls, and we're grateful. So 888-589-8840. And we're going to start it out in Mississippi with uh, John. John in Mississippi. And I am, oh, I know what I need to do. Watch this. Uh, and Devin has taught me this. Now I got it. Watch this. Here we go. John in Mississippi. Uh, welcome to the program, my friend. Hey, thanks for having my call. Yeah, uh, good John, to hear you. Uh, Alex, I appreciate y'all very much. I appreciate how y'all serve the Lord. And then I'll get right into my question. Um, okay. Uh, I notice a lot of people saying, as of lately, that when people go to hell, they're in a place where they're separated from the presence of God for eternity. And that's a part of the judgment of hell. But I'm quite certain I recall reading in the book of Revelation multiple times um, that the Bible says that the devil and his angels and those who are cast into the lake of fire will be tormented, I believe it says, in the presence of God and the holy angels. Um, Now, I know, I mean, I might be kind of paraphrasing that and missing it a little bit, but... I know it says something along those lines. Um, so, and I know they're not in heaven, but it infers that there is an awareness in the heart of God and even in the angels that this is taking place. So I just want to know um, what y'all's thoughts are concerning that. Okay, John, thank you. Alex, 
in the presence of. It would have the idea of him looking on. Uh, like I think John hit it right. They're not necessarily there, right there where God is, but mindful, and, and that punishment is sure, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, Isaiah 5 talks about uh, hell uh, has been enlarged, you know, and Jesus talked about hell being prepared for the devil and his angels. So one thing about hell, man, humanity was never intended to go there. Now, people do because they reject salvation. But um, I will say this, um, eternity is real, heaven is real, and yes, hell is real. Uh, And in hell will be the fallen angels, Lucifer, the demons, Satan, the fallen angels, but also the unredeemed humans. That's why, folks, today you can be saved. You can be saved. And if you want to go to heaven, not hell, by turning to Jesus, you must be. That's why, like the Bible says, we we encourage people, turn to the Lord. The whole idea is you're in hell. It's not you're away from God. You're, you're out. You're not in his presence where he is, but he is mindful of that. I think that answers that, John. Where to next, Alex? Well, how about we go to Ohio, which uh, probably has a lot of cold weather going on. Michael, tell us about it. How are things in Ohio? Well, not too bad today. It's about 40 degrees, so it's warming up a little bit. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Honor to talk to you. Ditto. Hey, I've got a question. Uh, My wife and I, we decided to read the Bible together this year, so we began. And the problem is she's Baptist, and my parents raised me in the Catholic Church. So I pulled out my Bible, and as we're going through the Bible, and we discovered that there's seven extra books in the Old Testament to the Catholic Bible, books like Tobit, Judith, Wisdom, Maccabees, etc. Can you explain what's the difference there, or why do we have different versions and one with, with the Baptist one doesn't have that many books in it? Okay. Mm. Uh, evangelical Christians have the 66 books, but Alex, that— that those books that uh, Michael's talking about are they books that were written during an interbiblical period? Uh, yeah, and and by the way, uh, Michael, God bless you. I am thrilled that you and your spouse are reading the Bible together, and I encourage you to keep on doing that. You know, there was a a study, and I won't go into all the details, but of husbands and wives that have a devotional time together every day or most days of the week, you read the Bible together, pray together, maybe you read a good devotional book together, Uh, the divorce rate just goes down almost to nothing. Exponentially, there's a greater likelihood of marriages thriving when husbands and wives read the Word together, so I commend you. But um, the Scriptures, the Church, the, the ancient Jews recognized their Scriptures, Genesis through Malachi, which is in all Bibles. Then the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation. Now, there were what were called some intertestamental writings that later became known as the Apocrypha. Uh, And there were some leaders uh, in uh, the church, Jerome in the 3rd century, and Origen previous to him, and they they read some of these apocryphal writings uh, in liturgy, in church worship. Now, the early church leaders for the first 250 years, they quoted the New Testament. 
Now, the Old Testament canon never questioned, but the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation, was recognized. And one, one thing that Jerome said, these are books that, though not esteemed holy scriptures, are still both useful and good to read. Now, even some of the reformers, like John Calvin, read these. But what happened, there was in 1546, it was something called the Council of Trent, and in the, the Roman Catholic world, these apocryphal books like uh, uh, Esdras and Maccabees, they were canonized. They were put on the same par as the rest of Scripture. And I won't get into all the reasons for that, but let, let me just say this. Catholic Bibles generally, well, not generally, but Catholic Bibles do include the intertestamental. They were written after Malachi, but before Matthew. These apocryphal books, um, I, I do not believe that they are on par with the rest of Scripture. They're not the Holy Scripture like Genesis through Malachi, through Matthew, through Revelation, Bert. But, and, and they never were viewed as such. And even after the Council of Trent, there are some Catholic scholars that would say, no, they're, they might be interesting, informative, inspirational, but not Scripture. My point is, um, understand that they are a historical um, reality in church history, but it's really Genesis through Revelation, what we call the Bible that has been universally recognized as the written revelation of God. Michael, we hope that helps you. And again, that's that interbiblical period, about 400 years. And uh, the, the especially the book of the Maccabees tells you a lot of the history that took place, and you find a lot of that other history as well. Uh, again, good information. But again, I, I agree with Alex, not on the par with the other 66 books. Thank you, brother. And keep listening and keep reading, man. Let's go to somewhere else. Where to now, Alex? Uh, how about uh, Tennessee? Linda in Tennessee, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that uh, the last caller might have uh, shed a little bit of light on my question, but my question is I get uh, little booklets from the Salesian, in, uh, from the Salesian Mission people, and... Uh, they have they have a quote that's in one of the little booklets that's attributed to Daniel chapter three verse one hundred. However, all of my Bibles I've got the King James, the New King James, and a Fire Bible, and none of them have um, anything higher than verse thirty in the Daniel chapter three. What translation mm. would the Salesians use? Um, let me jump in here, Bert, and I want you to um, follow up. Uh, I've gotten these in the mail before, too. And uh, let me say, I, I don't want to speak ill of anybody, especially that I don't really know, but um, some, and may, maybe there are multiple organizations that use this word, Salesian Missions, and that's S-A-L-E-S-I-A-N. There has been among some groups that use that name, and I don't know if it's the group of which you speak, but um, there has been some question about who they are and what they do and if they're really legitimate. And um, let, let me just say there are mission organizations that are generally Catholic in orientation that have used the name Salesian Missions that have been 
not reported well of. And so, Bert, I would, I'm only speaking for Alex here, I would stick to ministries and missions that you really do know. And, Bert, there are a number of sites that um, really give good marks for the reputable missionary works, like everybody from Billy Graham, AFA, Compassion International, American Bible Society, the Gideons, to then there are websites that critique ones that are not reputable. Be careful with your uh, your your giving and, and make sure you know. And when there's a question mark, uh, do your homework before you write them a check. I will say that. Amen. Linda, you are right on in far as what Alex and I know and we've heard it is connected with Catholic Church, so they may be quoting from the Apocrypha. That may be where and other material. Uh, but Alex, advice, right on. Thank you, Alex. Where to next? Uh, Daniel in Georgia. Daniel, thank you for holding. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. You bet, man. Um, real quick before my question, I, I want to say that there is such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom on your show, and I truly admire both of you. And I almost in my mind set a bar, or you guys set a bar, and I I really strive to have the understanding that you guys have, and you you truly inspire me, Um, and I mean that. Well, to God be the glory. Praise God. Praise God. It's to him, to God be the glory. Absolutely. So I'm going to try to frame my question in an understandable way. So I understand our God is a triune God, and we have evidence of this in places like Genesis, creation, and other places. So I understand that the Son, Jesus, was not created when he was born. But before he was born as a man, do we are we able to know how he existed? Like, was he the Son before he became the, the human that he was, or I, I hope I'm making sense, but do, do we have understanding or do we have literature? Um, obviously not outside the Bible, but how do we know this or can we? Daniel, thank you for your good, thoughtful question. Let me make this, this comment and I'll turn it over to Alex. Uh, Jesus makes physical appearances in the Old Testament. Uh, he's referred to as an angel, the angel of the Lord. And uh, in especially, I, I think one of the best known is that one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar could even see him and saying, is that like the son of, of uh, a god? He is a god. And, uh, and Alex, uh, was he a, a spirit that could come in to, and reveal himself in flesh? Yeah, um, there there were in the Old Testament appearances of Jesus, and sometimes you'll hear scholars, or perhaps read scholars, will say a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Um, I, yeah, I can't fully explain that, but you know, at, at Bethlehem there was the permanently incarnate appearance of Jesus. It's interesting in John eight, uh, Jesus said, "Before Abraham was, I am." In other words, Jesus appropriated to himself the the designation as eternally existent. But Bert, I, my my heart has just been so moved, and I've thought about John seventeen five. 
Jesus is on his way to the cross, and he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. Now listen to this, folks. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. Mm. Isn't that something? John 17, 5, the Father and the Son and the Spirit coexisted eternally before creation. Jesus is going to Calvary. He'll die. He'll rise again. He says, Father, glorify me with the glory we shared before the world was. So, you know, to the question um, there, Bert, I don't know that we can fully comprehend uh, what the Trinity was doing uh, before the creation, uh, eternally in fellowship with itself, himself, but um, Jesus could appear. He did appear. He interacted with his creatures. In fact, you know, it says when the Lord was walking in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day and he called out, Adam, where are you? Bert, uh, is it fair to say that was, that was uh, an appearance of the second member of the Trinity centuries before Bethlehem? I think you're right. I think we finish up this conversation by going to John chapter 1 uh, again, Daniel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Then you turn down to verse 14, and here's what you were talking about, the birth. And the Word became flesh. He became flesh. It lets us know he was not flesh before that continually. As Alex said, he was born. The incarnation is continual, and even today... Uh, we find him being in one place at one time all through Scripture after his resurrection. But he dwelled among us, and the last thing he said, and we beheld his glory. Alex, even in his flesh there was glory, and but yet he was going to go to the Father and experience that greater glory. The book of Philippians says that God gave him a name that was higher than every other name. Uh, He went back higher than he was when he left. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Amen. You know, John 7, 46, I said, Never a man spake like this man. They could tell there was something special about Jesus. Why? Because he was God incarnate. Folks, thanks for listening. Tell somebody about exploring the Word. Most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. (laughs) 